The evil of corruption reaches into every corner of the world. Corruption lies at the heart of the most urgent problems we face. Welcome to Confidential Brief, where Chad Thomas takes you into the stories behind the issues facing our society. My name is Chad Thomas. This is the Confidential Brief, broadcasting live in Johannesburg on 101.9 FM and worldwide on highfm.com. My wife, Glenda, was saying to me the other night how jealous she is that I get to chat to such great people. One of those great people I get to chat to today is Charles Leonard. And he's not just great because of his journalistic background and what he's done in the world of journalism, but he's also one of my absolute favorite vinyl DJs. And Glenda downloads all of his mixes and plays them, especially before we go to sleep so that we can, we can actually have something nice to, to go to sleep by. So it's incredible having him on the show today. Charles, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chad, and you're making me blush. <laughs> so the reason why Charles on the show, if you're all wondering, because this is not a music show, we're not about to have Charles spinning those vinyl decks, is simply because I follow Charles on social media and I follow his stories in the media. And last week he posted a picture. And the caption of this picture of four people standing in front of a very bleak building reads, and this is in Charles's writing, discovered this photograph in my drawer, was taken in November 1989 of Joburg media members who are currently facing charges, have been found guilty of offences, or have been threatened with state prosecutions by the repressive apartheid state. Charles is in the picture. He's the second from the right, and you can see it on our social media page. Um, and it's, it's, it's just very, very interesting. He'd been arrested in the land rights march and detained in Pretoria. And the picture just took me back and was a reminder of how a free, determined, and uncaptured media was so critical in the struggle for a just and equitable South Africa. And that's why we're chatting to Charles today. We want to know more about what happened in that picture and where we are today. So, Charles, let's go back to, to November 1989. Where was that picture taken, and why were you a part of that group? Chad, it was taken in the parking garage uh, of the Star newspaper in, in Sauer Street. Um, it was taken by one of the masters, um, the genius David Goldblatt. The, there, was a, there were lots of these... And I get a smile when I think of them. These amazing lobby groups and activist groups. And uh, this one was the anti-censorship action group. And uh, they initiated it. And it was, yeah, as you said, 14 of us across the media who were in some way in trouble with the apartheid state. Uh, they didn't like us, you know, they didn't like the media. Um, as far as I can remember, Stoffel Boeta, yes, he was the Minister of Home Affairs, and he referred to us as media terrorists. So, uh, yeah, we all had our, let's use the, the, the euphemism, challenges with, with, with the government at the time. Now, this was a, a fairly crazy government. This is the P.W. Boeta I think P.W. was still in charge. He was, yeah, he was about to be discarded. Uh, uh, F.W. de Klerk was going to take over. But the old finger-wagging great crocodile, big crocodile, was was crazy. And he's, the people below him was also quite mad. So what happened, the way I landed up in that 
photograph that looks like a bunch of slightly um, white-collar criminals, you know, a lineup for, for white-collar criminals because some of these guys had to borrow suits, you know, to, to look fancy. Um, anyway, the way I got there was one Saturday there was a march in Pretoria uh, of rural land rights, uh, a, a, a lobby group, and lots of people came from, especially what was then the Eastern Transvaal, now in Pumalanga, and came to Pretoria. And the cops were quite crazy that day, and they charged at us. I was one of the few. I think I was the only media person in, in that uh, march. They charged at us with dogs and batons and uh, whips, and this, 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 this lighty of a cop came to me and he, I was trying to get away and he grabbed me, he grabbed me by the the t-shirt and he pulled me and he held me and he then got distracted because there was just action around and people running and cops going crazy and I tried to sneak away and he just pulled me again by the t-shirt and he said Stand still, Grootsian. Stand still, big boy. Be a head taller than this, this, this lighty. Anyway, I was chucked into back of a van. And this is the, the absurdity of apartheid at the time. Um, I was the only guy. I had my own pickup. I had my own police van because I was the only white guy. <laughs> they didn't mix us. The rest of the people in the march were... They went by white women in their own bucky, um, black men in their own bucky, black women in their own bucky. Anyway, that's, that's, that's where it all started. And it was a Saturday morning and they drove past, um, Pretoria at Paul Kruger Square, <clears throat> sorry. And coincidentally, there was a, uh, AWB march and a big, uh, rally there. Also, they didn't, the reason why they arrested us was we didn't have permission, they claim. AWB also didn't have permission, but hey, they let them go. And they even threatened to drop us off at that march, at that AWB, the Afrikaner Beerstand Beweging Rally, so that they could sort us out. Anyway, they didn't. They put us in prison again. Whites only, uh, uh, in, in the one cell. It was at Pretoria Central Police Station. It was quite grim, and I was a bit freaked out. I must be honest, you don't get thrown into prison for for nothing. So, yeah, they, they kept us there the whole day. And it's that uncertainty. We don't know what's going to happen. You'd hear from other cells uh, where the black women were. You could hear them sing struggle songs, the black men. But, hey, whiteys don't have rhythm and <laughs> can't sing. So we just well, sat there. And we whined and we bitched. <laughs> well, you had the experience, and like you said, the absolute absurdity of it all. You get arrested for being in a march together and then separated and divided. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue chatting to Charles about his work during those days with organizations such as the Freya Wierkblatt, Channel 4, The Conversation, Mail and Guardian, SABC, and what's happened in his 34 years as a veteran journalist. We'll be back straight after this. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. Today I'm chatting to Charles Leonard. He is a 34-year veteran, and it's hard saying that 
because it just reminds me of how Charles and I are getting on in years. But he's a 34-year veteran <laughs> of journalism, and so much has happened in those 34 years. Charles, let's go back to the late 80s, the tail end of apartheid, going into the early 90s of the negotiations, etc. It wasn't easy being a journalist. Journalists were able to bring news, but it was very difficult for them. Was there a deliberate mechanism by the apartheid government to try stimmy the work that was being done by journalists? Chat undoubtedly. Um, funny enough, in some ways it was actually easier being a journalist then because you knew very clearly who your enemy was. Of course, it depends on, on, on where you stood and who you wrote for. But having said that, yes, they tried to make it as impossible as possible, as difficult as possible for us to do our jobs. Remember, there were uh, states of emergency and also part of the states of emergency, there were media regulations. So you couldn't cover, for example, what they would call uh, protest action. You're not allowed to be there. And if you're there, they can lock you up. So that they, they did. They checked journalists in jail. Um, this, 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 uh, what prompted this photograph was one of, one of about four times when I was arrested. So they made it really difficult for you to do your job. They, uh, listened in on your conversations. I had, I knew I lived in Auckland Park at the time and I knew how there were people parked in the street just to be there, just to let me know they know about me. And I was fortunate. I'm a, a young white guy privileged with, with, you know, I've got resources. And I worked at places with lawyers and resources, but there were journalists in, in rural areas where they also, it was much more difficult. Black journalists much more difficult, compounded, of course, by, by the system that we were experiencing at the time. Um, so yes, it was made as difficult as possible. On the 2nd of February 1990, when the ANC and other liberation movements were unbanned, they lifted the media regulations on that day. Um, I again covered a march and was beaten up uh, by a riot policeman. I said to him in both of our mother tongue Afrikaans, I'm allowed to be here. The, the regulations have been lifted. And he said to me, I'm coming for you. Just stand aside. And he hit me with a baton over the head, like centimeters from my temple. And, um, yeah, that was a sign to me <laughs> that these guys were not interested in the lifting of media regulations. It continued, of course. Um, what's on paper and what's in practice uh, were mostly two different things. And sadly, I guess that applies to, the, to this day. I want to take that up a little bit later in the show, what's happening today mm. with regards to me. But that was a complete onslaught. It wasn't just the violence against the journalists and the locking up of the journalists, but one of the um, print um, that, that you worked for, the the Friday the, the, but they actually bombed the office. That's correct. That's correct. So these guys weren't playing around. No, not, not at all. They literally bombed the, 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 the office. Fortunately, it was on a Friday. The paper comes out on a Friday. And Freyviek, but staff being Freyviek, but staff on a Thursday night after deadline, the parties 
we're always big kind of we survived another week and we'd go down to the market theater and have a big jewel there and then fridays people can't function so early so these guys didn't keep that in mind <laughs> so fortunately no one was injured but as you know the mail and guardian or the weekly mail as it was known then which is another place i worked at had banning orders they they had to black out uh, front pages and of course the other thing is it is lawfare as as they call warfare by law that in the end caused Freyviet blood to close because the state had un, almost unli, unlimited resources so they would put you in get you in court and Freyviet blood was this small upstart newspaper with not a lot of money and you have to fight back with proper law, legal representation. And in the end, that just emptied the coffers. And then, yeah, that was the end of the paper. So that was a very effective way of them fighting and, and repressing us in the media. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. Our guest today is Charles Leonard. He is a 34-year veteran of journalism. And now as we move into the, the last stage of the show, I want to chat about where our country lies at the moment with a state of corruption, but a media that's been able to report on it. And this was the importance of today's show, where we were and where we've come to. Charles, do we have a free media? <laughs> Why do you leave this tricky one so late? <laughs> in, the, in the morning. Chad, yes, yes, of course, we have a, a free media. Um, but, you know, that's, that free is also a relative word. And it's in, in theory, we have very much a free media. Um, do we use the freedom? That's perhaps a, a, a question we should also ask. Um, yes, we've also seen examples of where in practice the media is not free. In our constitution, we have, we have that freedom, freedom of expression. And yes, we have free media and, and, and it's a media, as you've said, that's earned it. But, um, yeah, my, 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 my counter question will be, do we use our freedom? And I'm not sure we do. There are some people who do it and without making sweeping statements about everyone, you know, because it's so easy to wag the finger and say, yeah, the media is this, the media is that. Um, not everyone is using their freedom, but we, we, we are a free media. A media. That's a nice short answer, isn't it? Do you think, I often say, okay, let me, let me rephrase this. I often say that Corruption is an apartheid legacy. It wasn't reported on because of the, the restrictions that were in place during the apartheid regime. Obviously, we've seen state, state, state capture and corruption on a, on a very grand scale, but it's always been there. Do you think the public would be as aware of what's going on if it wasn't for the fact that we've got the media that have been through this traumatic time of the late 80s, early 90s, and are now able to report without fear or favor? Ooh, that's a very good question, and the answer is most certainly yes. If it weren't for for the good foundation set and laid then, um, we wouldn't have known about it. So many examples, you know, we can think of, think of on a daily basis what's happened 
around the Department of Health, for example, uh, just the most recent example, but then go back to the whole horrors of uh, state capture, um, we wouldn't have known about it if it weren't for the media. And we would probably have been in even deeper trouble than we are in at the moment. I believe we owe a massive debt of gratitude to investigative journalists. And even although we've come out of a very dark period in our history, it's not unusual to, to hear that journalists may still feel threatened in their chosen profession by reporting on those very controversial and dangerous subjects such as state capture. Very true. And also what, what made things more complicated and more difficult for journalists is they have to fend against the state and all its organs in, in, in the different ways it manifests itself in terms of, again, being challenged in, in courts, challenged by the police, um, being frozen out just from doing their jobs. But also we, we, we're dealing here with, um, Social media, for example, the the serious threats that some uh, investigative journalists are experiencing for, uh, on on social media, um, and also that it it can manifest itself in people being attacked. We've we've heard about a few times of people being attacked. So it is it is very dangerous as well being a journalist, and it's also not as Easy. There's there's a third element I'd say, and that is a lack of resources. Um, you need time. You need um, people to be able to do proper investigative uh, journalism. If you don't do it properly, the the perpetrators can easily come after you via the law and then you are in trouble if you don't have your resources, if you didn't do your research properly, your investigation properly. And as we all know, the media is shrinking at a, an alarming rate. They aren't advertising as much as they should be. Um, you also, what makes it even more difficult is you've, you've got bosses, you've got media owners who are scared or media owners who are even in cahoots with with some of the state capturers. So we we should treat our journalists and especially our investigative journalists with a lot of respect and give them as much support as we can. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about what Charles is doing at the moment with an organization um, where he is the podcast editor known as New Frame. We're going to be back straight after this. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. You're listening to The Confidential Brief. My name is Chad Thomas, and today I'm chatting to Charles Leonard. And in our last couple of minutes with him on air, I want to chat about where he is today. Apart from the fact that he's one of my favorite vinyl DJs, he's, of course, the podcast editor for New Frame. Tell us a little bit about New Frame and what it is New Frame is doing. Chad, we are in... In an unbelievably fortunate position that uh, we are working for, or I'm working for, um, an institution called New Frame. It's an online publication. Um, we are funded. Um, we have. We are able to do quality journalism without 
fear or favor. And also it is, so if you don't know New Frame, it is a progressive left-leaning publication. And to me, it's, when, whenever I feel a bit despondent about where our media is, New Frame is one of those reasons to celebrate that we are an example of the diversity of the media. We we get from the right through to us on the left. So I'm the podcast editor. We've got a current affairs show every Friday or current affairs podcast that comes out every Friday. It is news-driven. Um, this past uh, Friday's edition, for example, we I did an interview with uh, Bruce Fordyce about the 40th anniversary of his famous or infamous um, first Comrades Marathon win where he wore a black armband in protest against apartheid. And I interviewed a young uh, Egyptian rapper. So we do interesting things. Um, I, as soon as we're done here, I'm going to do an interview with the retired Constitutional Court Judge Edwin Cameron for for an upcoming episode. So that's that's who we are. Um, we're getting very good feedback about uh, what what we get up to. Um, as I said, it's quality journalism and. Yeah, that's that's. Ask me more questions, and I'll see if I can answer them. <laughs> well, well, firstly, I think it's something to celebrate is the fact that it's the 40th anniversary of Bruce Fordyce winning that um, bittersweet victory at the Comrades, where yes. he protested against the apartheid. And I can't believe it's 40 years. So thank it's you. 40. Yeah. Thank, thank you for just putting that little final prod about how old we're getting. Yeah. But um, most importantly, for our listeners that are also wanting to have this independent supply of news because people are very nervous of mainstream media. How do they log on to Newframe? Where okay. do they find Newframe? It's, it's very simple, newframe.com. And our podcasts are on the website as well. And our podcast is called Radio Newframe, and you can find them on all the – you can find us on all the – platforms where, where you find your podcasts. So it's, it's, it's a very easy place to find. When we look back at that picture from November 1989, where you had those 14 journalists spread out who had all in some way or another been abused and bullied and, and really repressed by a, a oppressive regime, what do you feel today when, it, when, you, when you talk to younger journalists and people who are joining the industry? I think it was worth it. And I tell them, you know, don't be scared. If, if I survived, <laughs> I'm sure you'll also survive. And I say that with my fingers crossed. Um, and that we must make sure, as, as, as veterans, let's call us that, as veterans must make sure that they remain committed to chasing the truth, whatever the truth is. And also to just to tell stories, to tell stories about one another, about each other. Um, and that's a way that you get people to get closer to, to each other, um, to understand one another. You don't need to agree with everyone, but you can understand people better. That's on the human side. And then, of course, continue being investigators, 
by not taking the answers that uh, the state or the corporates give you at face value. Keep keep questioning because th- that is that is how you um, ensure that our democracy stays strong enough or continue to grow. We, we it's not in a perfect shape shape at the moment, but that's how we make sure that the young journalists can ensure that South Africa stays a, a decent place to stay in, to live in. Charles Leonard, thank you so much for joining me today. This was a really, really enjoyable chat, and it just shows the importance of a free media in exposing the fraud and corruption in South Africa. Thank you very much, Chad. That was Charles Leonard. He's a 34-year veteran in journalism, and you can find his podcast at newframe.com. It is a free and independent news outlet that reports without fear or favor. If you enjoyed today's show, we'll be uploading a podcast of today's um, live recording, and you can find that at highfm.com if you search under confidential brief. And you guys haven't heard the last of me. For those that didn't know, I'm standing in for Simon Anstey this week. So I'm back again today at 4 p.m., on the afternoon drive. So if you're still listening, uh, I'll be chatting to you guys a little bit later. Then next week, we're discussing the legal ramifications of cannabis and how cannabis as a legal recreational product can add so much more to the fiscus if managed correctly. My name is Chad Thomas. You've been listening to Confidential Brief. Thank you so much for your time.